For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. How you doing, Spooky Marshall? I'm doing well, Spooky Tim. So here's the story behind that. I can hear a hum that sounds so much like the lights. Okay. So we turned off the lights to see if that was the issue. It's not. It's not the issue. I still hear the hum. I don't. But that's because my ears are blown, probably. Uh, but it it is mood lighting. <laughs> yeah, I kind of I'm kind of digging the. It's like like we're in like this closet. I mean, it's not a very big room already, and it's like, you know, it's like you know telling ghost stories over candlelight, except it's our laptop screens instead. Right. So it would be simple enough just to turn on the lights again. It would. But what fun is that? You know what? You got to shake things up. Variety's the spice of life. If right? only we had flashlights at our chin <laughs> and a bed sheet over our heads. <laughs> that would just make it complete. Yeah. Question 46. Mm-hmm. We've been talking a lot about the ordinances. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of time on baptism. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to transfer and give a specific focus to... The Lord's Supper. Yeah, this week and next. The question is, what is the Lord's Supper? Mm -hmm. Which reminds me, since also we are in Stratford, of a Shakespearean moment. Okay. When Juliet steps out onto her balcony and says, Romeo, Romeo, why for art thou Romeo? Goes on to the famous line, would a rose by any other name still smell as sweet. Okay. <laughs> because the Lord's Supper has a lot of names. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's yeah. where I was going with that. Okay. I was like, I didn't know where you were going. <laughs> you were concerned because I was quoting Shakespeare to you with mood lighting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Communion. The Eucharist. The Eucharist. Oh, yeah. That's a good one, too. The Eucharist. Yeah. So what is it? Why does it matter? Why does it matter to you? Well, why does it matter to me, personally? Uh, Well, it's the second of two ordinances given to the church, Mm -hmm. right? There are two. We talked about the first one over the last couple of weeks, baptism, which we see as the ordinance of initiation. So that's the process of, you know, publicly, visibly declaring your faith, you know, a a visible representation uh, of an inward work that kind of is your formal introduction into the church body. Mm -hmm. And what the Lord's Supper is, is that second ordinance, the ordinance of continuation, where it's kind of this repeated thing that we do um, to declare where our hope is and what we share, uh, not only in Christ, but also with one another. So, Did you just wrap up the entire podcast right there? Did I? Maybe. Okay. Well, and here's let's talk the th- about let's talk about. Oh, go go ahead. So 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 why does it matter? Okay, so it's it's so Christ establishes it the Last Supper, mm-hmm. right? And we know from the writings in the epistles that it was a practice that was uh, continued and repeated on a regular basis in the churches because Paul will write specifically about instructions and comments on how it's being done, uh, particularly in Corinth. Right, and and interestingly enough. We have this mysterious moment Mm. where Paul is called up 
to meet with the Lord. Yeah. We don't know much about what goes on there. No. Paul doesn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. He tells us it wouldn't be lawful. The, the exception to that is he tells us there is one thing that Christ passed on. Mm-hmm. That's how I read it. Right? When he says, that which the Lord has given to me, mm-hmm. I pass along to you, that on the night when the Lord Jesus was betrayed, I take that to mean this is part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, he could be talking about a tradition begun then mm-hmm. and passed on, but it seems to me the language is more direct than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there certainly would have been, like among the apostles in the early church, there would have been this kind of oral tradition of what had happened and what was being, you know, what was uh, to be repeated. And, you know, the time of Paul's ministry is also the time when, you know, the Gospels are being written, probably. Um, And so, yeah, but I mean, it seems as though there's some kind of personal connection that uh, Paul has received this from the Lord. So, I mean, and if that is the case, um, which I don't think is a, a big stretch to, to assume, um, it also then adds significance because Paul really wants to get this across. Hey, this is something not only you need to be doing, but you need to be doing rightly. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And how have people not done it rightly? Well, um, people have been doing it wrongly since the very beginning, Tim. Sure. <laughs> Which is kind of part of the reason why Paul gets into it. Um, I think, I think answering that question too deeply might prevent us from, from getting into the answer. So, so I'll just kind of do some broad, some broad things, mm-hmm. uh, not doing it at all. Just like with baptism. Sure. One of the wrong ways is not doing it at all. Same kind of players, not into doing it. Quakers and the Salvation Army, um, Essentially, I mean, it's this idea. Well, there's there's a twofold reasoning for it. Um, I want to give cut the the Sally in a little bit of uh, a li- little bit of slack after taking him to task over baptism. Their movement was predominantly targeted at the um, outcasts of society. They did a lot of ministry to alcoholics. Right. And prior to the temperance movement, there wasn't like Welch's grape juice. So part of their reasoning for avoiding communion was, you know, the alcoholics amongst them. Um, but they've kind of continued in choosing not to do communion because they see it again as one of these non-essential things. This isn't essential for salvation. It's not any, not any central practice of the faith according to them. And so they just decide not to do it because it can cause division and there's different perspectives. And so they kind of steer clear. Of, right. So keeping it. your distance. No. Yeah. Anything else? Um, well, there's not doing it with the right attitude. Right. And I think that's kind of what Paul gets into a little bit. And, and we can maybe address the passage later on in this app. But, but there, there is an aspect of not coming to the table rightly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, a, there's an aspect of an inward aspect of that and an outward aspect of that. So, so within is your mind and heart, are they in the right place to be doing what you're doing in that moment? And also, is the way that it's carried out in the context of the community, is that done rightly? Is that done with um, everyone in mind, their best interests in mind? Yeah, and and I would say this is going to get into some of the area we talked about um, with with baptism as well, Mm -hmm. right? If uh, 
if a kid comes and says, you know, I, I understand the gospel and I've come to trust in the Lord. Uh, and dad says, great, let's go out to the backyard and dunk you in the hot tub. Mm-hmm. Right. We would say, well, this is an ordinance of the church for the church gathered is, is the norm and the practice for a public confession, those kinds of things. I, I would say there's also an element of that that works with uh, communion as well, right? Um, taking communion on your own, I would say, doesn't have with it the body gathered, which is a part of that representation. Mm-hmm. We gathered together, gathered to him, mm-hmm. which is the pull of the symbol of communion mm-hmm. as we take it. Uh, that is, and and I know that people are going to feel differently about this. And, and trust me, this is tertiary yeah. in my mind, yeah. right? So I have, I have no judgment for any pastor who did communion over COVID. Yeah. The question is, you have to make a choice, yes or no. Mm-hmm. I personally chose no. Mm-hmm. I wrote an article, put it on in and through just to explain the position. But the idea being that it's the body gathered together, gathered to him. Mm-hmm. If we weren't gathered together in the ceremony, um, I've got space for people to say, well, through whatever electronic means we were. Okay, that's fine. Um, but but not in not in a way that I was comfortable doing and wanted to wanted to move forward with. Yeah. So we paused communion. Uh in those times when we were locked away, but the first Sunday we were back together every time mm-hmm. we did communion yeah. as a celebration of that people called together, called to him. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I would, I, I'm pretty loose on that, but that's the decision I made. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that I, I think people can do in that similar kind of a vein. Uh, sometimes you'll have youth group. I've heard of youth groups that would do Mountain Dew and pizza. <laughs> yeah, a Coke and a pizza and and go through the things and being yeah. like, it was in the first century more of a meal, hmm. so why not? It doesn't have to be a cracker and grape juice. I would say, I, yeah, I know. Yeah. That, that's my Canadian saying that I'm going to grab. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, not a healthy thing. Yeah. Tonight's yeah. youth group. I don't know if you're planning communion with pizza and Coke. I'm going to no. guess no. Leftover Halloween candy? No. Uh, not as communion anyway. So so I would say, <laughs> I would say, yeah, that, that's another area where it can go wrong mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in that kind of a thing. Um, but I, I wouldn't say primarily or secondarily wrong. I would say a tertiary yeah. wrong. It's, it's a misunderstanding of, in my opinion, mm-hmm. of what communion is and the value of communion mm-hmm. and the the charge of communion. Yeah, it's a we're getting into you know best practice and what is most appropriate. Yeah, I, I don't I don't most think most edifying. I don't think they're sinning. I think it's no, not best no. practice. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Any, anything else for how it can go wrong? Well, there's a big one. Okay, let's hear it. There's a big one, but. We will do a deep dive, I think, on this next week. Ah, okay. Well, then we just have to keep it a secret. No, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, yeah, that, what, because what? that's a cliffhanger. Now people have to come back. Okay, there's now, a, now people there's just a, can't wait until your next week. Okay, yeah. There's a big one with a big word to describe it. Boom, boom. That I spelt wrong in my notes because it's underlined. 
<laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll leave that one for we'll leave that one for next week. All right, build the build the tension and suspense. All right, what then does the catechism say? What is the Lord's Supper? Christ commanded all Christians to eat bread and to drink from the cup in thankful remembrance of him and his death. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of the presence of God in our midst, bringing us into communion with God and with one another, feeding and nourishing our souls. It also anticipates the day when we will eat and drink with Christ in his Father's kingdom. Mm -hmm. So it is the taking in in practice, the taking of the bread and the cup. Mm Mm-hmm which happens in so many different ways. It does. There's the communal loaf yeah, broken apart and passed out. Have you done that one before? I have been a part of one of those. Yeah. I've never conducted it. Yeah, I've never conducted it, but I've seen, I've seen it done in some churches. It's an interesting take. Very not COVID-friendly. <laughs> right. There is the communal cup. Also not COVID-friendly. No. Um, <laughs> I'm a little bit gross, maybe. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I take that back. I'm sorry. Any Anglicans that, listening, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I have actually done that. Um, individual breads. Or No, it, yeah, it was the communal bread, the communal cup. Okay. Uh, when I was in the Ukraine. Okay. At a Baptist church. Okay, cool. Um, there is the get in line. And be served. Yep. Your bread mm-hmm. and the cup. Sometimes common, sometimes individual mm-hmm. things that are, are laid out. Uh, what are what are some other? Sometimes I've seen families go up together. That's kind of a nice. Okay. One. That's that's. I mean, it warms the heart. I don't I don't know if it's best or better yeah. or worse than any other, but seeing families kind of go up and get the elements for their family unit. And yeah, I I think that there's a sentimentality to that. I would dodge it. Mm-hmm. Again, not as wrong, just as sometimes you have to make a decision on this. If it was brought to me to say, hey, why don't we? My knee-jerk reaction would be, as good as it is to see the nuclear family together receiving communion, one, when you have people in the family that aren't believers, mm-hmm. it isolates them from their nuclear family publicly. That's a good point. And two, it puts the hyper-focus on the biological family mm-hmm. and and their being drawn together and drawn to Christ and not the community of Christ that is the church. Yeah. That yeah. would be my knee-jerk reaction, but I would need to think about it. Yeah. So traditionally, there's been like specially made plates that, at least traditionally at, at our church, specially made plates that get passed through the pews. Recently with COVID, it's kind of, they're kind of set up at the door and people can kind of just pluck their little piece we've got the the pre-packaged two-in-one and you know what i saw those years ago yeah and thought they were hilarious i called them the communion to go cups for those people who couldn't stick around to the end of service yeah and i did nothing but poke jokes at those when they would come in the catalogs and show them to be people and say can you believe that this exists I tell and you, then covid came along and i was like if you, you bought know, that stock in february 2020 yep oh baby you did well oh yeah they got expensive Oh, yeah, they did. To anyone from Memorial Listening, we did not buy them when they were at their height. No, no, no. We held off for a bit. But there was a point when they were so much in demand mm-hmm. that those cups were like 3 to $5 a piece, and you buy them in a box of 100 Yeah. Right? 
and uh, supply and demand, baby. And then all of a sudden, you have people pumping them out left and right, and the yeah. price went back down to reasonable. <laughs> and that's when we grabbed them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that's what we do right now. The take home cups. Yeah. Grab your own, bring it out, fumble through the foil. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a wonderful thing. It's, I I led I led communion this past Sunday, and uh, in the first service, I hadn't kind of primed the wrapper. You gotta prime it. And I'm like, I'm just I'm I'm working at it, and I'm thinking, oh boy, this is <laughs> this is rough. Oh, <laughs> uh, but uh, anyways, yeah. So, so I mean, obviously, it's so been let, taken different ways over the over the years. So let's talk about where it matters. Okay. In the taking of it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and to be fair, the Bible doesn't lay all of this out. So there will be people that I fellowship with wholeheartedly that disagree. Mm-hmm. Does it matter what kind of bread? Okay. So here's the interesting thing. So before, I I didn't really think it was all that important. The fact that the the Last Supper took place um, during the Passover meant that the bread that they were eating would have been unleavened, and there was signif- spiritual significance to that in the Jewish ceremony of the Passover, right? Um, and so I think there's a sense in which, I mean, that emulating that might be ideal. Although, interestingly enough, when I had it, got into a conversation about this with someone else, they're like, oh, no, 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 the leavened bread is is good because it symbolizes how Christ is risen from the dead. So the risen bread, I, I know, I don't, you're, you're giving me a weird look. I, I just, I'm just telling you, I'm just, re- mm-hmm. I'm just reporting what was delivered to me, to you. From <laughs> that this which was given to that me. That which was given I to me to by you. some guy on the internet. Um, but yeah, so I've heard, I've heard arguments made for both. Yeah. What do you think, I'm, Tim? I'm firmly in camp unleavened bread. Okay, tell us why. Because communion represent is is a tradition that began even in Egypt, mm-hmm. right? That it's a deliverance bread and was a symbol of that deliverance all the way through. Mm-hmm. Jesus took that covenant symbol and said, "This is the covenant made new. Mm. This now represents." my flesh mm-hmm. um which was pure right. and is through scripture represented by a lack of leaven right yeah in in a number of ways uh and so i i have always done that now some might say well does that mean it has to go as far as like jewish stamped matzah right <laughs> no um there's not a recipe mm. in scripture for it uh, and so I, I don't feel like it needs a specific recipe. The point of it is unleavened bread. Mm. If that means we have Triscuits or soda crackers, I'm okay with that. Mm. As long as it's unleavened bread. You want to you slice up some tortillas? Mm. Some naan? Naan. Okay. It's delicious. And so when I've made that point, because I've actually made that change for a church before, who did the? They were of European tradition, so they did the leaven thing, mm-hmm. and and I walked them through it and said, I think we should change this just because this is a symbol, and so its symbols matter. Mm-hmm. The question was then, if you're going to argue, what did Jesus have when he said, "This is the thing I want you to do," mm-hmm. there would have been 
fermented wine in that tradition. Mm -hmm. Does then the wine also need to be fermented? Mm -hmm. I've gone to a church that gave people their preference, and they had the same trays we do, and the inner two rings were fermented and the outer two rings weren't. Mm -hmm. We sat in the back because we had a newborn, and Mm -hmm. every time it got to us, there was only the outers left, which wasn't a problem for me. I just always found it funny. (laughs) Um, People are like, oh, my little thimble. (laughs) My thimble of cheap box wine from the church. Well, maybe they they had a conviction. Maybe they did. I don't think that the alcohol content in the wine is symbolic in any way. Hmm. We could apply a symbolism to it. Mm-hmm. I would say your friend who says the risen bread represents the risen Christ has mm. created his own symbolism. Right. Uh, I would say even despite biblical symbolism, mm-hmm. that would just be my position. I think we, if someone wanted to, I mean, what? Alcohol is a purifier cleanser mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah. blood of christ cleanses and so you'd need pretty strong alcohol that <laughs> to, to really make an argument stronger for that. than wine yeah uh but but no i i don't see any symbolism in that so mm-hmm. i i think mm-hmm. a fresh grape juice mm-hmm. and an unleavened bread which is what we do yeah yeah i mean historically it was it was wine um, really, the, the temperance movement kind of started mm-hmm. this push towards non-alcoholic options. Uh, that's why Welch's is such a big deal. Um, it was kind of the temperance movement. There are there are compelling arguments for why. I mean, I think if you say, okay, if someone is an alcoholic, and you even put a little bit of alcohol in front of them, it's a you know, are you potentially causing them to stumble? I mean, there were alcoholics in the days of the early church. But they didn't have access to fruit juice like we do now, right? It, they didn't have refrigeration. So in order for the, the fruit of the vine to keep, it needed to be alcoholic to some degree, right? Right. So in that sense, you know, I don't think, I don't think there's anything um, inherently wrong with, you know, with alcohol or without alcohol. Yeah, I, mean, I see it as a non-factor. We're a Baptist church. We got rules, no alcohol you know, in, in what we do. Um, so we don't have it. If I were somewhere else and they had real wine, wouldn't phase me in the least. Interestingly enough, while I was at the church in the Ukraine, Mm -hmm. they would take the issue of alcohol further than we would. They were like any drink of alcohol constitutes biblical drunkenness. They were teetotalers. Alcohol's Mm -hmm. a sin. Okay. At any degree of it. Mm -hmm. Right. That was their, pretty much stated universal idea mm-hmm. of Christians and alcohol. Yet, at communion, it was alcoholic wine. Interesting. And and I, because I, I was in a different kind of situation. I was there as a guest lecturing professor mm-hmm. to teach soteriology at a local seminary. Mm-hmm. And so... I was at church with my students. What I didn't want to do was to walk in as the person placed on this stage as the educated or the educator, Mm -hmm. an outside person of authority. And we, we know that that comes with the longer you had to fly to get to a place, the more authority you have in your teaching Mm -hmm. just because of perception. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's funny. Um, 
And so I didn't want to really rock the boat, but I needed this answered for me. So I asked the people I was with, as a not making a judgment statement, just an observation. Mm-hmm. And I pointed out that thing. And they said, well, the thing is, when you take it in communion, the alcohol is not effective. Okay. Because it's been blessed. Okay. And I said, thank you for your answer. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay, well. <laughs> so so I know this is a long answer. Yes. There's it, a lot here. It's really long, yeah. Uh, I think a lot of it we've covered. Sure. It's for gratitude. Mm-hmm. It's for remembrance mm-hmm. of his death. That's what he tells us when he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Mm-hmm. There's a celebrational uh, aspect to it there as well. Is. Yeah. Yeah. We do it together as a community. Mm-hmm. I, I would say the three elements of communion are the bread, the cup, and the gathered body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I feel like all of this is here. The feeding and nourishing of our souls. I, I think some people feel this way about communion. Like the act of participating in communion just is almost a visceral effect. Mm-hmm. Some people feel it less, more is just a, um, a ceremony that we do. I, I'm, I'm not here to judge anyone for being too emotional about it or, or mm-hmm. under emotional about it. But mm-hmm. I, I think that feeding and nourishing of our souls mm-hmm. is probably going to be gauged differently by different people. Yeah. I mean, there is an unhealthy extreme that can sometimes um, get into some stuff that, again, cliffhanger we're going to talk about next week Mm -hmm. but as far as as far as the you know the the feeding and nourishing of your soul through taking the lord's supper some people are just more connected to those tangible things and for them the the bread and the cup even if they know okay this isn't literally the body and blood of christ doing that um is just meaningful a meaningful reminder of Christ's sacrifice for them in a way that maybe, you know, maybe hearing the gospel preached, they don't respond as significantly in that way, or 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 whatever it might be, right? Like they're we're we're wired differently. So for some people, I know, um, it's very important. Yeah, um, and and that's good because it is something that is important for the church. And and, and that ceremony hits differently for different people, mm-hmm. and there's different sort of an emotional level of response isn't doesn't say anything about one or the other. Some people cry at weddings, some people don't. Yeah. I do. You do. And funerals. Yeah. And Tuesday afternoons. <laughs> <laughs> I, I one thing that I, I want to wait until next week on. This is our second cliffhanger. Mm. We've got to bring it next week. Because okay. we've given two cliffhangers. Okay. <laughs> I'm a little nervous now. No, we'll be fine. When I say the elements of communion are the cup, the bread, and the gathered body, Mm. and that doing it individually is not the same as doing it corporately, Mm -hmm. I think the most legitimate challenge to that, and the question would come, what then about a shut-in or someone in palliative care? Mm -hmm. Would I share communion with them or would I not? But I think the answer to that comes with next week's discussion. Because hmm. next week's discussion is going to say, 
does the Lord's Supper add anything to Christ's atoning work? Right. So just like in baptism, we talked about the argument of efficacy. Is it, does it actually do the thing mm. or bolster the thing, right? If, <laughs> you know what I'm going to do anyway. <laughs> I, sorry. If baptism is the inoculation, is communion the booster shot? <laughs> How's that for, the, that double, is the most politically controversial double, thing we've ever said on this podcast. Double dosed, baby. Uh, yeah, it probably is actually. I think so, we just lost half of our we lost half, half of our listeners. Our, yeah, half our listeners half just our, half think our we're listener. the greatest in the world, and the other half are just like canceling us. But if the inside joke is that we have a listener, <laughs> <They'll> be <laughs> then we have half a listener. I don't know how that works, but it just happened. If you're that half a listener, write in and tell us. All right, I'm good, Marshall. You got something you want to throw in? You know what? I think that's a good place. I mean, we could talk about this, but, you know, I can always save little bits and snippets for next week, too. So let's do it. Let's do it. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada, and is produced by Alex Walker. See you later. See you.